Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another Wednesday night edition of Sports Conversation on the Fighting Network. I'm Don Henderson, and we've got a great show for you this evening, our last show before the end of the year. Holidays coming up, both Christmas and uh, New Year's, and so we'll be a couple of weeks before we come back and rejoin you again. 
So at the top of the show, we wish everyone a happy, happy uh, New Year, a very, very Merry Christmas, a happy Hanukkah, whatever it may be, and do one thing, drive with care and stay away from the alcohol. Our normal guests are here. Roy Cummings is in Tampa. We'll talk a lot of football tonight. Roger Henry is in Atlanta, as always. We'll talk baseball and football there. We'll also go to our executive producer, Frank Carroll. And, Frankie, a couple of sad notes. One baseball player, a longtime Philadelphian, and a St. Louis Cardinal player, and also uh, a football coach that we were anticipating seeing on January 2nd, who's not going to be there. Yeah, Don, I had the uh, pleasure last Thursday night to go to the uh, contract signing between the Illinois and the Mississippi State and actually meet uh, Coach Leach. He was a tremendous person. Uh, and everything I read from uh, from the trades is that uh, not only did he have a sense of humor, he was a tremendous coach, and uh, the world will miss uh, Mike Leach. The guy who gave us, especially when I was a kid, a lot of uh, great times, uh, Kurt Simmons uh, passed away uh, yesterday. Um, he was a longtime Philly, as you said, and before that was with the Cards. Uh, had a wonderful reputation both on and off the field. And for that, we send out our, our best wishes and thoughts to hit both families in, uh, uh, at this tragic time, especially this time of year. Yeah, and he was one of the unfortunate ones that got drafted just before the 1950 World Series. I think it was about 10 days before the series was to have begun. And, of course, he could not get leave to come back and play in the 1950 World Series and uh, was a great loss to the Phillies. Of course, they lost in four straight to the New York Yankees. Uh, We'll talk to Larry Bow about that in the second segment of our show this evening. Larry's going to join us. But right now, let's get down to Tampa, Florida, and uh, Roy Cummings is standing by. And, uh, Roy, I think people along the National Football League TV network and uh, the rest of us, Got a true evaluation of what the Bucks are worth against a good team. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. And uh, boy, oh boy, uh, what a what a time to roll out arguably your your worst game of the season uh, on on all sides of the ball, really. And um, yeah, it's a real mess here, guys. And it's it's really incredible uh, how uh, this you know this is a, maybe a very good example of how important coaching is in this league. Uh, you know, under Bruce Arians with uh, Todd Bowles as a defensive coordinator, coordinator and Byron Leftwich as an offensive coordinator, this team was very hard to beat. Uh, obviously won a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it had moments here and there where it struggled. Every team does, though. Um, but they were a, a very strong team and uh, formidable. But um, at this point, uh, they can't seem to find themselves. And they, they don't know what their identity is. Uh, on either side of the ball, it seems. And uh, they they can't seem to execute on either side of the ball effectively. Uh, They struggle against uh, weak teams. They struggle against uh, good teams. Uh, They struggle against themselves. Um, You know, it's obvious that uh, the players are not on the same page with each other. Uh, Tom Brady doesn't seem to be on the same page with Mike Evans, his best receiver. Um, Sometimes he doesn't seem to be on the page. Tom Brady doesn't seem to be on the same page with uh, his offensive coordinator, certainly not on the same page with his head coach. I mean, we've seen repeatedly here uh, in the last few weeks, uh, you know, Brady wishing to stay out on, uh, you know, third and re- fourth and long uh, opportunities, fourth and short opportunities, and uh, the, the coach uh, 
calling for a different shot. I mean, it's not unusual that a quarterback wants to stay out there, but, uh, you know, when it's fourth and 10 at your own uh, 28-yard line, it's a little bit different deal. Uh, so it, it's it's really a mess. And, um, you know, the only thing that's in their favor is the fact that they are in arguably one of the worst divisions in the history of the game. Um the, the winner of this division could be a 500 team. It could actually be a, uh, a sub-500 team. Uh, we'll see what happens, you know. So what it means is uh, they're still in, you know, they still can still control their own destiny in a way. And uh, they're probably still going to win this division. And they'll probably still up into the playoffs. And at the end of the day, uh, what that means is they've got a month uh, to go to figure things out and uh, put together a good game against a quality opponent. Um can that happen? Sure. You look at the at the at the uh, at the team on paper, and there's every reason to believe that this team is capable of beating any of the teams that are out there that they'll face in the playoffs. And if they if it's San Francisco again, you know who's to believe they wouldn't beat them? If it's uh, the Eagles, who's you know they can give them a game, I believe. Um, but uh, not at the not the way they're playing now. Not the way they're playing now. Well, two things. Really, one, they can't score points, and uh, you know they, they they can't even can't even get to the twenty point marker, which is uh, you know the basic line. You got to get over twenty points to win most games, and they haven't been able to do that. They won a couple of games very closely without scoring a lot of points. Roger, they gave your Atlanta team in the South a great chance to step up and take control, but they can't do it either. No, they sure can't. They uh, just can't seem to. Uh, make the right moves uh, offensively and defensively to uh, to make a move uh, to uh, possibly capture the NFC South. But uh, staying with Brady for a minute, I want to. Uh, I guess there's a lot of speculation. That's what it is uh, that he may go back to the Patriots, and uh, of course they've got their own uh, issues there. Talk about a, a quarterback not in tune with the offensive coordinator who's the former defensive coordinator shades of uh, what we saw with the Eagles uh, years ago that didn't work out uh and uh, I just I, I I don't know I'd like to have your your fellows to, uh, uh, opinion about do you think that there's any possibility that he would go back uh, uh Brady would go back to New England uh, for a last run Roy go to it well, I, I think there is a chance. Uh, look, it's where he's comfortable. Uh, you know, look, we, we see on a regular basis now uh, players who are basically at the end of the line sign one-day contracts to uh, to retire as a as a member of uh, a certain organization. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Tom Brady decided, hey, I'm going to play one more year and I'm going to play it in New England where I had all my fame. Uh, we're going to we're going to patch things up with ownership uh, with Bill Belichick. Uh, whatever it was that uh, led him out of there, and we're going to give this thing one more shot. We're, you know, I can still win. Uh, I can still play at a high level. Uh, I'm going to go for a year, you know, maybe with an option, maybe two years and an option, who knows, and, and see if we can make these guys winners. From Tom Brady's standpoint, I see it. Um, I can see that happening. Um, but I don't really see it from the, from the, uh, from the Patriots' side. I, I, I don't. I, I think – the feeling there is uh, you've got a good young quarterback. Yeah, he may not see eye to eye with the offensive coordinator, but the offensive coordinator probably shouldn't be uh, coaching the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Matt Patricia. Exactly. A, yeah, yeah. Matt Patricia is a defensive-oriented uh, coach. He's been a defensive coordinator for years. 
Um, I, I don't know, you know, what Bill Belichick is thinking, making him the, the offensive coordinator. I guess it's that old belief that, you know, nobody knows a, uh, how to run an offense better than the guy who has to defend it all the time, but it's not working out. And, um, and, and the players all over this, you know, all over that team realize it. So I think in order, you know, one caveat or, or one uh, stipulation that Brady may throw out there is that, you know, get a real offensive coordinator. You want to make this guy your defensive coordinator, go right ahead, but uh, we're bringing somebody else in or I'll, I'll just run the offense myself, which is kind of what he's doing here in Tampa. But um, I mean, I could see it from Brady's standpoint, but I don't know that the Patriots who have moved on and, and, you know, let's face it, they're, they're looking like a playoff team too. Uh, and it's largely because of the play of their quarterback, uh, who is uh, obviously not that happy with Matt Patricia, uh, you know, so do you want to, you know, sit that guy on the bench for a year? I don't yeah. think you or two. I don't think you do, but you know, we'll see what happens. So, um, I, I see it from Brady's standpoint, but not from New England's standpoint. Roy, I could agree with you more. Two two answers, Roger, real quickly. One, their quarterbacks just started to develop after uh, you know a, a couple of years now in the league. And uh, if you saw him on Monday night, he put out a very very good performance on Monday night. He's on the way up. Hey, dude. Yeah, I don't think I agree. That Tom Brady is going to help your ball club at 46 years of age. Mm-hmm. I don't care how great he is right now to come in and restart, and especially if he has an offensive coordinator who's not an offensive coordinator. So I, I don't see any way that he thinks about going back to New England. Well, I appreciate that because uh, I saw an interview uh, with Belichick, and he talked about, he said that when Tom was there, it was Tom's offense which leads me to believe that even though uh, Josh McDaniel was the offensive coordinator, it was really Brady that was the brains behind the scene. And that's what I'm thinking, that if he did go, just like you said, Roy, he would definitely be setting up the offense for himself, you know, where for his capability and his strength. But, Roger, you're taking a guy 46 years of, old, of age that doesn't move, and you're taking away a young quarterback that has the ability to do the things he showed on Monday night, uh, I, I don't see where, you know, having a name and being Tom Brady, you know, it doesn't mean anything at 46 years of age. You know, how are you going to win with him? I don't know. I, I, it's not anything I'd ever want to do. And I'm, I've always <laughs> been a big uh, Mac Jones uh, fan. So, you yeah, know, the they, people in New England are Mac Jones fans too, guys. Uh, you know, again – the, the one way it possibly happens is if uh, Mac Jones just has a an absolute meltdown from here on uh, in right. the rest of the season uh, and just looks horrible down the stretch and, uh, you know, really struggles with prime time and um, or if he gets hurt. You know, so you got to wait and see where, where the team is uh, at the end of the season and then you got to wait and see where they are on the, you know, opening day of free agency and things like that. But given everything as it is right now, it, it doesn't seem to be a, a fit. But you know, the fact that there's talk about it happening is just another example, it seems, of Brady being unhappy here in Tampa. And, I mean, it was clear that, you know, look, he, was, he, was unha- he wasn't happy enough to, to avoid uh, considering retirement and actually retiring last year. Uh, there's the reports about him wanting to go to Montreal, Montreal uh, go to Mount Miami uh, a year ago. Uh, didn't happen, uh, and wisely so because of, the, you know, all the turmoil there. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's clear that it seems like he does want out. And, and I can't imagine that he's excited about sticking around after this year. 
um, I think he's realizing that, you know, control over the offense and control over the, the roster or whatever control he has uh, does not necessarily mean that uh, it's not an, it doesn't equate to, uh, to winning football, uh, that maybe he's better off just playing quarterback and, uh, you know, running the offense as best he can and picking out the plays that he wants and not griping about what the, the head coach comes in and puts a red line through, uh, you know, on game day. So, um, you know, we'll see where it goes, but uh, it does seem like Tom Brady – does have his eyes elsewhere at this point, and uh, so we'll see how that goes. Well, fellas, in contrast to that, uh, Garoppolo, they're saying now, possibly could come back uh, from that uh, foot injury and be ready to play uh, during whatever segment of the playoffs he could get back. But, hey, they're young, they're young quarterbacks putting on quite a show out there, and uh, they may not want him back too quickly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, look, the, the kid obviously played uh, one of the best games you'll see any quarterback play against any right. team against Tampa Bay last week. Now, th- the downside is he uh, apparently suffered an oblique strain of some kind. We all know that those things are uh, uh, nowadays it's uh, it's it, it's really devastating. It can it can knock you out for for several weeks. So right. um, you know it could be that uh, uh, maybe uh, Brock Purdy is not capable of playing but boy if he is who doesn't want to see that kid uh you know in, in an encore opportunity here because he sure looked great against tampa boy what a what a story roger yeah he sure did and uh i think you're right but you know jimmy gets hurt and uh you know they've been trying to get rid of jimmy in many ways for a couple of years but it's still there and but who and he knows? played great to start the season he did. He did. It's a shame he got hurt, but uh, only time will tell. You know, I, I know everybody's on the San Francisco bandwagon, and I, I think they're a very good team. Uh, but uh, I, I, I do think that, to be honest, that I think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. I really do. Uh, from you know, guys, top if you think bottom, about it right now, they are the best team in the NFC. There's no doubt about it. They might be the best team in the NFL. Uh the Eagles, and not to really cut you off there, Roger, but you, you said something about you know Jimmy Garoppolo. Boy, oh boy, what a what a situation in uh, in San Francisco all of a sudden, where you know at this moment, and granted, we've got a very small sample size in terms of Purdy, but I mean, you 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 got three quarterbacks that you think you can win with there. Now that that's a dream come true, but uh, right. at some point soon, you know, look, Purdy's contract can't be very as as the last draft pick. Uh, there's a chance I don't know what his what his uh, contract looks like, but it's probably not very long and it's not very expensive. Uh, you can bet that there's a team out there that's willing to take a chance on him as a free agent, when and if that opportunity comes here in the next year or so. Uh, Garoppolo has earned himself a starter's job somewhere. Uh, I don't think he's going to be happy sitting uh, on the bench in San Francisco, nor should he be at this point. And uh, so. You know, you could see uh, those two guys could both end up uh, uh, on different teams here in the next two or three years. And, and boy, oh, boy, what, that'll be interesting to see where they go and uh, what the market is for them. Well, first, uh, Roger, we'll go right back to you. Uh, both coaches say if you have three quarterbacks, you have no quarterback. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Garoppolo wasn't too happy last year when he was on the bench. Didn't want us to be on the bench to, during the exhibition season this year. He wanted to play, and when he finally got the – the nod to start the season, why uh, he was off and running. So uh, I agree with you. You know, Roy, they, they've got you know a lot of potential at quarterback, but you can't have too many quarterbacks. No, you can't. And uh, you know, somebody's going to end up being uh, unhappy. And 
you know that never works out very well. So, you know, they've got a they've got a a, a natural quarterback controversy, which again, uh, teams tend to like that because it just means that uh, you know you, you can put you pretty much put anybody in there, and uh, and the results usually turn out pretty well. So, you know, we'll see how it all goes. Once again, Roger, John you want to jump to any other football before we swing over to yeah. baseball with all the action yeah, that just, took place last week? Yeah, I just uh, was going to say the uh, <clears throat> excuse me when the Eagles went to the Super Bowl, they had uh, uh, Wentz. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. When, uh, when uh, Wentz was still there, and they drafted uh, Hertz, and then they had Nate Sudfeld, and now I see Sudfeld's like the backup. I forget who it was, but I saw him on TV. And then there were a lot of critics that just thought he really was lucky to be a, a third-string quarterback. So, uh, you know, in today's scheme of things, you have to have depth uh, with, at quarterback because uh, you're only, you know, one injury away from a disaster. So that's, that's well, all I have. Well, they just found that out. Yeah, they, they lost their, their young quarterback, and they took went to the third string and brought him up. and He got buried last week, and now they're back. You know, reshuffling your quarterback situation all over again. The Jets just—they're uh, having a terrible time with quarterback. Yeah, the yeah, injuries really are killing you. Yeah, and, and it's a shame because you know what—it's—they uh, turned out to be a pretty good football team. Uh, you got to like their coach a lot. I like what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball, and um, it seems like they've figured things out there in terms of how they want to attack. And uh, it's just a matter of getting somebody and keeping them healthy, and they just can't seem to do it. Really unfortunate. <laughs> Well, let's swing over to baseball for, for a little bit. Uh, Larry Bull is going to join us the next half hour, so we'll get into the Phillies in particular. But, uh, fellas, a lot of money spent at the uh, the winter meetings and uh, conversations and things are still going on. It doesn't seem like there's any bottom to the well. No. <laughs> no, I don't think there is, guys. And, uh, hey, again, as you know, it's a uh... – nine to 14 billion dollar industry and uh you know half of that's going to the players and so you know go out and get your uh, go out and get your guy um right now you know look but we are well we're also in the in the phase where the the, the best players are getting the biggest contracts um you know there'll be some guys out there who probably don't quite get what they're hoping for um i mean we just had noah Syndergaard uh sign a one-year deal uh, with the Dodgers. So there's a lot of one-year deals out there. I think teams are being smart, to be honest. Um, look, some players That's only want one second one-year deal with the Dodgers. Yeah, right. And and, and I think you know, teams are being smart in that regard. I, I don't think they're putting a whole lot of money on the line, uh, you know, over, you know, really extensive contracts, nine, ten-year contracts. Unless, of course, you're talking about a, a player that, um, you know, you think is going to be a part of your core you know, for the next decade, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the case of Trey Turner, well, that, that's a guy who you see uh, filling a hole that you've had for a couple of years and, uh, and doing it for the next decade. Uh, you know, you're building a core there that you plan to keep to hold on to and build around for the next, uh, as I said, the next decade. Um, but, you know, some of the older players are, uh, are signing smaller deals and well, maybe not small in terms of money, but uh, in terms of term, you know, one year deals and that kind of thing, two year deals. So, uh, Roy, I hold on just a second. Let, let, me, uh, let, me bring, let, me, let me bring Larry Bow in with us while you're still on here, and, and the three of us, four of us, could talk a little bit about what's happening on the baseball front. Uh, Syndergaard, of course, uh, left the Mets last year, went to the Dodgers, and traded to the Phillies, and 
Now he's back with the Dodgers, as you say, for another one-year deal. Uh, Larry Boa, we're talking about the money that's being spread around baseball, almost as much as you made when you were playing. <laughs> Christmas came early. Christmas came early for a lot of guys, believe me. <laughs> give us give us your evaluation before we ask you a specific question. Hey, well, first of all, if the owners didn't have the money, they wouldn't be paying this. So I'm all for the players getting as much as you can. Absolutely. Uh, I sort of question, I sort of question uh, the length of some of these. You know, I understand that uh, the money is great and everything, but. I just don't know if the players are going to play when they're 40 or 41 years old. But, uh, hey, you know, I guess that's all put into the computer, and if they can get five or six real good years out of uh, a 10-year deal, I guess they're all in on it. Roy, you might as well get in before it's time for your dinner. Go ahead. Yeah, no, Larry, you're right. I mean, you see these nine- and ten-year contracts, and you you, you do have to scratch your head. But, uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's just – I think it's the only way to – you know, to avoid paying somebody $60 million, I guess, at this point uh, in a season because you got to spread it out over a number of years. And, uh, and yeah, uh, who sees these guys, some of these guys playing on, into their 40s? Maybe um, unlikely to happen, but, uh, you know, 13-year deals, 11-year deals, 9-year uh, deals, it's, it's really the way to, to, you know, give them the market rate. And, and here's the thing. If you got four or five teams offering you a 9-year deal, uh, and one's offering you a ten-year deal. Well, you're going to probably take the ten-year deal. That's where you want to go. So, um, right. you know, and a lot, a lot, of, a lot of these guys are making their uh, decisions too based on taxes in certain states. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. I mean, Degrom. I, I don't think Texas has a uh, as a tax, and obviously coming from New York, uh, which is and they don't have it here in Florida. Tax, although right. that doesn't seem to be helping the Rays of the Marlins much. I think, right? <laughs> which is right. <laughs> which is kind of interesting, but. Uh, but, no, you're right, and taxes are a big part of it, uh, obviously a big part of it. But at the end of the day, I also think that players are looking for places where they can win. I mean, uh, Texas obviously is, is, is putting out some of the, some of the bigger contracts and uh, attracting some of the better players. Um, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think these guys are looking to win. And, uh, you know, like you, Larry, I don't begrudge these players the money at all. As I said, I think before right. you came on, it's somewhere between nine, a nine and fourteen billion dollar industry right now. Players are going to get half of that, and so uh, if the market uh, allows it, why not? Roger, yeah, get your order water. In, 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 in reference to what you said about they don't want to pay anybody sixty million, that might happen next year when Otani comes out. So that'll there you go. Put it off for a year. <laughs> yes, right. Well, you know, one of the things, yeah, one of the things that I saw was a couple of things. Uh, obviously, Larry, the Phillies didn't see value in uh, taking Syndergaard on a one-year deal, and I guess it's because of the the uh, moves that they made, getting the Mets pitcher and then also the reliever, uh, the lefty from uh, Boston. Is, is that? Am I correct about that? Yeah, I, I think just you know, uh, just from. My gut feeling, I think we're looking for another bullpen arm down there. Uh, we got a couple of kids that are going to be knocking on the door. One of them might break camp with Painter. Us, you know, that's, that re, yeah, that remains to be seen. But they're both – Painter and Abel are both outstanding young arms. Painter in particular, uh, he's about 6'5", uh, throws strikes, has good command, great attitude. Uh, it would not shock me to uh, to see him break camp. But, again uh, – 
as far as the the uh, minor league situation goes, maybe they might want him to go there for the first month and a half. I don't know. I know he threw 105 or 110 innings, somewhere around there. So even if he were to make the team, he, he could only go so many more innings over there. They're going to take, they're going to make sure they take care of him and not overwork him. Hey, Larry, uh, I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave you guys with this question, uh, and this is for Larry, obviously. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays uh, signed Zach Eflin, um, who uh, you know was a, a key part of that organization or the, the rotation rather in, in Philadelphia for a couple of years. You know, played a key role as a, in, a, in a relief role uh, down the stretch last year. Um, in your mind, what what do you think uh, was what happened there in Philadelphia? Why wasn't he retained? And uh, uh, what do you, what do you think? Uh, obviously, a, a control pitcher. What do you think the Rays are getting in Zach Eflin? I I, lo- I really like uh, Eflin. I, I, this guy's a, a competitor. He's got good stuff. I think the big stumbling block was the question on his health with the knees. You know, he's yeah. had some issues, and I, I know they wanted, uh, you know, they want him to be a starter. And if if he's not going to go the whole year again, this is just speculation. But if he did pitch in the bullpen, say he pitched two innings, more than likely he probably had two days off. So I, I think it was more of a health thing as opposed to his ability and everything. This kid's got – if he's healthy, he can help any team in baseball. He knows how to pitch. Uh, he's got – he's a ground ball pitcher, and, uh, you know, it's, Tampa has a pretty good infield. So um, it, it's a great landing place for him. His family's from uh, – they live in Orlando now, close to home. So I wish him nothing but the best, but I, I really like him a lot. And if it wasn't yeah. for his health, I think he'd still be with the Phillies. Yeah, that makes sense. Roy, uh, thank you very much for the first half hour. As always, Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and your family. We've got the next couple of weeks off, so we'll talk with you in January. Sounds good, guys. And uh, Larry, as a, uh, as a lifelong Cubs fan, uh, born and raised in Chicago, uh, it was an honor uh, being on the show with you. And uh, thanks for all the fun that you provided us Cubs fans back in the 80s. All right, yeah, we had a good time there, yeah, the one year there. Sure and, uh, did. You know, we ran into a buzz, so we, we thought we we didn't, well, you know, we beat San Diego the first two games, then we got swept. Right. But, uh, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that park, yeah, when they, that park's filled up, it, it's a lot of fun to play in front of those fans. It sure is. It's the best, best place to play baseball in the world. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Roy, Merry Christmas. Right, take Happy care. New Year to you and your family. Same to you guys. Take care now. Thanks, Roy. All right, take care. Larry, Larry, let me prove to you that I don't know anything, which I've done over many, many years. <laughs> I look at the scenario this way. The New York Mets, Cohen has spent $460 million over the secondary cap now and still going. Going to spend more. Yep. Okay? Yep. So to me, I look at the Mets and I say, okay, they're right there at the top of the list right now, and but they're there for only 2023. Because uh, they're, they're, they're old. They're not going to last. So they either got to win this year or they're not going to win. The Braves are right there with the Phillies. The Braves have very young, middle talent, very good talent, well-signed, well-distributed. Got Mur- Murphy now to be a catcher as well. I think they're right there in the number two slot, even with the Phillies right now also at number two because they're middle of the range. There's some older, some middle some young. The Mets don't have anything coming up from the minor leagues, so it's got to be this year or no year, your evaluation. I, I agree with that. And, and you know, I, I even I'll take it a step further. Uh, uh, Scherzer and Verlander, obviously, two first 
ballot probably Hall of Famers. If not first ballot, they're going to get in. But when you talk about 37 and 38 year olds, and you want them to give you, uh, I don't know, close to two, between 150 and 200 innings, you know, you're rolling the dice. There's no question about it. They're both very competitive. They both want to be out there. But you know, Father Time, especially when you're a pitcher, those guys have posted a lot of innings over the course of their career. Uh, and the Japanese guy they signed, I think he's 35. He's got a lot of innings under his belt also. So, you know, you're right. I mean, they are rolling the uh, the dice right now, and they're hoping everybody stays healthy. Uh, they have a good team. There's no question about it. But I'd be a little concerned about the age, not the, not the ability of the starting pitchers, but the, uh, the age. I think, uh, you know, you're asking a lot for those guys to give you that many innings. Roger? Yeah, I agree with that, Larry. Um, um, you know, when you you look at the uh, age and anything can happen with injuries, we've seen it even with younger guys. And, uh, you know, we've seen some couple of guys now that had to have two Tommy John surgeries, right? So you never right, know. Right. I know. The, I mean, the, he, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you never know with, with Tommy John. I mean, you know, they, they, they think they have everything figured out. When you get 100 pitches, shut them down. You could blow out your arm on pitch number one. You could blow it out on pitch number 101. I mean, no, if anybody ever figured that out, they'd be a genius. So, you know, you got to worry about that about every team. You know, pitchers blowing out or having Tommy John surgery, they're out for a year and a half. Uh, those are all things that come up during the course of the season. That's why when you put together a team, you'd like to have some good inventory. You'd like to have seven or eight, maybe if, you, if you're a real good organization, nine different starting pitchers where when guys go down, you bring them up. But, you know, everybody's not that fortunate. You, 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 that old saying, you never have enough pitching, you could say that every year with every team. There's no question about yeah. that. Larry, just going back to what you said, and then we're talking about the older, uh, olderness of the pitching staff, uh, I mean, Verlander, you're right. Uh, Verlander sort of ran out of gas during the end of the playoffs last year. Uh, the last two games that he pitched were not really that effective. <clears throat> and Scherzer, uh, when he was in Washington, couldn't pitch in the World Series because his arm went dead. When he went to the Dodgers, he couldn't pitch in the last series because his arm went dead. When he went to the Mets, his arm really went out. When he was in Atlanta, after Buck Showalter had set up his two primary starters to pitch game one, game two, and then hold on for game three, and they didn't win any of them because all all three pitchers were too tired. They couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's a long season. When you start getting into the playoffs, I mean, we were fortunate, with, with the exception of Nola. Uh, we, we, you know, at one time, Ranger w- uh, was put on the IL. Uh, Wheeler towards the end. I don't know if anything was really wrong with Wheeler, maybe some tenderness, but they shut him down for about two or three weeks. Right. So you're going to probably see a lot of that during the course of the season. Uh, I will say this. I, I was shocked at the length of contract that DeGrom got. I mean, there's no question about his ability. But this guy's throwing 150 innings the last two years, 75 each year. Right. Uh, you gotta be, you got to be scratching your head. They're not, again, not his ability. This guy's got probably the best stuff in all of baseball. But uh, you're rolling the dice here, expecting him to give you 32, 33 starts every year for the next, I don't know what he signed for, five, six, seven years. I don't know what it was. But, you know, coming off those injuries the last couple of years, uh, again, that's that's a risk. There's no question. And he was the same dominant self the first three games he pitched. After that, oh yeah, he slacked off 
dramatically after those first three games. So you're right. Right. Yep. Roger. He did. I mean, this guy, stuff-wise, he's got great stuff. You know, Larry, you mentioned about Painter and Abel. And uh, what about uh, some of the uh, position players? Like uh, I, I see on the chart, Johan Rojas could possibly uh, be on the team this year. Talk about some of those prospects. Uh, Rojas is unbelievable. Uh, this guy's going to be as, you know, barring any injuries or everything, he could play center field with anybody. Uh, I, I don't see him making our team this year, not because he's not good enough, because they want him to play every day. And I don't see him playing anywhere right now with our team because Harper's going to be out. So they're going to have Cassianos in left, and you're going to have uh, Schwarber. I mean, Cassianos in right, Schwarber in uh, in left, and Marshall play center. But you know, we we have some good young pitchers. Uh, we got a couple infielders that are pretty good, but right now, if you take a look at our team last year, we brought a lot of kids up from the minor leagues that did well. Hall, yeah. uh, Veerling, Maton. Uh, the, the, we made a trade with St. Louis getting Sosa, who's very durable. And when I say durable, and, and he's also very, uh, he, he, he can play anywhere in the field. You can put him any position you want. He's that good an athlete. So we have some. Scott did a pretty good job too, Larry. Who's that? Scott, Scott, Scott did a great job, and Scott's going to play at second base. So, and he I can play. Scott he can play it. short or second or third. I mean, he yep. I, and he yep. really from the beginning of the season, I thought. Looking at it now, I'm watching a game of TV. I'm not there. Uh, it just looked to me like he dramatically improved from the, when he first came up the first 30, 40 days until the end of the season. Oh, he's he's going to be a real good. He's going to be a solid big league player. I think the biggest thing there, Don, was, you know, when they did get rid of D.D. and he was, he was, you know, he was, him and D.D. were like splitting. And, you know, when you're a kid and you get called up, if you don't get any hits, you say, oh, man, I'm not going to be playing tomorrow night. I think the fact that when we got rid of D.D., it sort of opened the door for him saying, hey, if I go over eight, I'm still going to be in there. Uh, he's he's going to be a good hitter. I mean, if you watch him, even when he first came up, every time I looked up, the count was 0-2, and you look up again, it's 3-2. and he has right. a way of battling. You know, he puts the ball in play. Uh, he's going to be a good doubles type hitter, but he's capable of hit, probably hitting 15 home runs. I think he's going to be a good average hitter too. I know the first year, uh, you know, you put a kid in the lineup the first year on a team that went to the World Series. There's a lot of pressure there, and this kid, he's got ice water in his veins. I really like his demeanor. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes in the field right. mentally. What meant it? And I, I, he's going to get be a real good second baseman. I really believe that. Roger. Well, what what was Mike Schmidt's b- uh, batting average his first year up, Larry? <laughs> yeah, it was under 200. But we're, yeah. we're talking about one of the greatest that ever played. Uh, yeah, Schmidt, you, but even though even though his hey, first year, well, he well, made had a tough time starting the first 20 times up too. Even though Schmidt he had a, a hit under 200 his first year, you could see the power. You know, when you first his first year, I'm going, wow, this guy's going to be something special, and and you know he was something special, but. That first year in the big leagues is not as easy as people think it is. And then you put a guy like Stott on a team that, that turned out to be a good team that went to the World Series, and he, he handled all the pressure with ease, believe me. A lot of well, let me ask you about the Braves, because uh, they're the team that really scares me the most in the National League East. Uh, the fact that they have a great blend of age and talent. Uh, they didn't make any moves before the trading deadline. They, they signed players. They had everything ready to go. Uh, and now they get a player back that they lost here for for stupidity. 
uh, I, I just think they have one very, very solid base. Yeah, they do. They're a good team. Uh, and as you said, their pitching's real good. Uh, they got a they got a reliever, I think, from Detroit. That's really yes, good. Yes, they did. Uh, towards the back end of, the, of that uh, uh, bullpen, and he's going to help out a lot. The thing that puzzles me a little bit about Atlanta right now is I don't understand why the negotiations between uh, Swanson and them have sort of died down. Swanson is <laughs> Swanson's a good player. I mean, real good. Not only that, he wants he to stay home. If he had one flaw, he struck out over 180 times, which is a lot. But this guy, out of the four shortstops that have been out there, I think he's the only one left, but he was probably the best fielder of all of them. There's no question about that. And I think Turner was the best overall doing everything. But I'm shocked that Swanson hasn't signed a contract, especially with the Braves. But now that all the shortstops are off the market, there's still probably about four or five teams that need a shortstop. And if I was a general manager, I'll tell you what, i get this guy in a minute. He knows how to play. He's a winner. He's played on championship teams. He hits home runs. Uh, another guy that doesn't make a lot of mental mistakes in the field. When the ball's hit to him, you almost it's like an automatic out. Uh, but yet he's still out there. So I, I have no idea what he's asking for. I don't know what the Braves have offered him. It sounds like the Braves are trying to get him on that hometown discount. Hometown yeah. discount. And he's not going for it right now. Roger? Well, last year uh, they had a similar situation with Freddie Freeman, Larry. And uh, and then as it turns out, his agent uh, didn't uh, tell him about the Braves' uh, last offer. He thought the Dodgers would be better for him. And then Freddie gets rid of of his agent. And because he really wanted to stay in Atlanta, and and when he came back, it was so emotional. You probably saw it. Uh, yeah, on I saw TV. That. It was. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, was. yeah. It was. It was something else. And uh, and you know, I mean, he did a great job for the Dodgers. He's a great player and a great person. I mean, a real yes, asset. Is. But but the uh, you know you you never know what goes on. You know more about what goes on behind the. Uh, the doors of, of a administration than we do, and that surprised me last year. I do know uh, that at least they're having conversations, uh, Swanson and the general manager. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound like Freddie personally had the con- he might have, they might have had conversation with the agents. The but agent, the information yeah. that I've I've listened to is that Swanson's actually talked to the general manager. You know, like a regular conversation. So, I mean, I don't know where that's going, but if I'm that general manager with that team that the uh, Braves have, I don't want to have to put a rookie out there at shortstop. Believe me. Absolutely. Um, and, and this kid, this guy solidifies that infield because they got a real good infield. I mean, that you Bigger. take Olsen and, and Riley and, and, and you have Swanson and the kid that was hurt at second. Uh, they, they got, they got a good team. Center fielder is really solid. The catcher they got now is right behind J.T. Riamuto as far as defense. He looks like he's got a good swing. I don't know how they pull that off. And so I guess Darnold's going to do a lot of D.H. next year. But uh, this catcher's he's special. Well, well let's, let's go back, let's go back for a minute. I, you know, I, I, you and I have talked over the years many, many times about <clears throat> defense, how important defense is, defense, defense. And, of course, the Phillies had a really tough time during the first half of the season. They improved as they right. went along. They still weren't 
at the top echelon, but they were much better. But right. Marsh came in, and uh, they, I, I, again, you saw them in the minor leagues. You saw when they made the move for them to bring them up to the major leagues. My concept was that the one big mistake sometimes, and, and let me throw this at you and see what you think. The last game, a routine double to start the game, but an error in center field lets the runner go to third. Now you got right. a runner on third and nobody out instead of a runner on second and nobody out. Now you got yep. Thompson decides, which I'd never heard of, and at the top of the first inning with a runner on third and nobody out, brings the infield in. Now the next yep. batter gets a base hit. And, and you got Wheeler out there pitching all the way. You know, what? that one error to me got the Phillies off on the wrong foot for the whole game. Yeah, it, it, you know what, Don? As soon as it, when you start getting into the playoffs, it, it doesn't even have to be the playoffs, but when you get big league teams more than 27 outs, or you give them extra bases on certain plays, you're just asking for trouble right there. Marsh is a real good center fielder. Don't get me wrong. He's 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 going to win a Gold Glove. I've seen this kid play. He's 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 pretty okay. good. But but you're right. I mean, and you're going to have to be more athletic now with no shift. You're going to have to have range at second and short. You're not going to have three guys on one side of the infield. So you're you're going to. I think this game's going to sort of go back to old school and uh, pitching and defense, I think are going to come into play a lot because you're relying on more range and uh, you can't overload an infield on a certain way. So I, I think this thing's going to change a little bit as far as how to play the game. And, uh, you know, outs are going to be at a premium. You don't want to give them away. So, you know, that, that old adage about, oh, we'll just put somebody out there at second because we've got three guys on that side of the infield. If he can't get it, the other guy will get it that's over there. That's not going to come to play too much, so we'll see how that plays out. Roger, yeah, well, I, I'm I'm anxious to see uh, how it, it does play out, but I'm really happy to get rid of the shift. I just want to go back and and play baseball, and uh, you know, if you get a double, you get a single, you get a triple, home run, whatever, and but j- just play the game uh, the way it was intended, not with all this shift business. Uh, well, I agree with that, but you're gonna you're you're gonna see some managers, and you have to have two guys on each side of the bag. You can't have a shift. But if I got if I'm a manager and I'm facing a guy like Harper or Schwarber on our team, I'm putting my left fielder in left center and putting my right fielder in right center. I'm giving them the lines if they want to bloop a ball. Then that extra outfielder, he doesn't have to be on the dirt, but I'm gonna put him over there. If there's a left-handed hitter, I'm gonna put him on the grass, just like they did before. Mm-hmm. And no one's, no one's brought that up. He's not going to be on the dirt, but I'm going to have a, an outfielder in right center and one in left center, and I'm going to have the other out, uh, outfielder, if a guy's a dead pull hitter, I'm going to have him on the grass on that one side, left or right side. You watch. That's going to happen. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm sure it will. Definitely. Yeah. Go ahead, Roger. No, the other thing I was uh, going to say is uh, on that uh, uh, trade that the Braves had with uh, Murphy, uh, you know, it was a uh, a three way, but uh, you know, right. you know, Darno has really improved, Larry. You saw him when he was in the minors and coming right. up, because he was in that Roy Holiday uh, deal with right. the uh, Blue Blue Jays. But he really has improved. He's he's a real good hitter. He's a tough out, and if you know, you get this Murphy kid to catch 130 games, 125. And that, you know, Darno probably DH. And then if you want to give the Murphy a blow, 
Darno's not a bad catcher. He doesn't have the arm that Murphy has, or he's not as good defensively, but he's not going to kill you back there. So you can give those guys a rest, and, and, but Darno's going to get his at-bats because he's, he's turned into a pretty good hitter. Do you think that yeah, the uh, bigger have. bags uh, is going to make more stealing, more more ability to move runners along? Uh, you, do you think it's going to be a major difference? You know what, Don? I don't know if the bigger bags are, but throwing over to first base twice to a, a one hitter. Right. To me, if I'm, a, you know, I stole over 300 some bases, I'm going to take a real big lead. And with the anticipation, I want them to throw over for two times. Right. After two times, as soon as that leg goes up, just go. They can't throw over again or it's a balk. They have to go home. I think you're going to see more stolen bases. I don't think right. the bag's going to have that much to do with it, but that rule, I think, is going to entice teams to steal more, get a guy to throw over there a couple times real quick, uh, and I and I think you're going to see more more action on the bases that way. I don't like one that last rule. question for me, Larry. Is, uh, first base, uh, you know, your first base uh, seems to get handcuffed at times. Uh, I mean, I don't know that he's a bad defensive first baseman, but sometimes he either misjudges where the ball's going to bounce or Jerry goes up in the air too quickly, or I, I don't know what it is. Is it just a natural instinct or what do you think? Is he going to improve defensively? Yeah, you, no, you're right. He, he might, he'll make some errors, but I, I will say this about Reese. This guy works probably harder than anybody as far as his defense is concerned. He's out there early every day. Okay. And it's hard to get on a player when you see, I, like I go to every single home game and I see this guy out there at, Three thirty, four o'clock every single day, and it's, so it's not a, a matter of he's not working or he's not trying to get better. But you're right. There's some plays where you shake your head. There was a play in, in one of those playoff games. It was literally a one hopper to him, and he missed it. That's right. Uh, you know th- things like that. And I know he he tries so hard out there. But the other thing, the flip side of this thing, when he gets hot at the plate, I tell you what. He can be as hot as anybody in the in the league when he's hot, and he's very streaky. When he gets on those rolls, man, you can ride him. And that with our lineup, especially when Bryce comes back, you're going to drop a lot of guys back down in the lineup a little bit, and just say that that Hoskins hits sixth. Man, you, you got a guy like that hitting sixth, man. You have a deep lineup, and I think our lineup could go toe to toe when when Harp gets back with anybody because we, we there's no really easy outs in that lineup. And it's going to be fun if you're a pitcher because, you you know, hopefully a guy like Nola who never gets runs will finally get three or four runs of work with every time he goes out there. But uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch this lineup. Roger? You know, I agree, and, and I, I think the world of uh, Hoskins. I really do. I, I know he makes some errors and he takes a lot right. of criticism in sports talk shows, but I really like him, and I think he's a class asset uh, for the organization. And uh, what he nope. does in the community, he and his wife. And I think the other thing is you may not want to disrupt the uh, clubhouse, Larry. And I think he's a uh, important cog in that uh, wheel. Oh, there's no question. He's a great guy. He's great not only on the field but off the field. Uh, you know, you want to see a guy like this do good. And, and again, uh, his defensive lapses aren't because of he's not working. This guy works, like I said, as hard as anybody and I want to see him put together a solid year where he stays away from those one for 35 slumps 
because uh, I, I, this guy really got big hits for us going down the stretch last year. Right. And I don't mean just base, I don't mean singles. He had a couple home runs that were key in our success going down the stretch. So he's good to have in your lineup. Like you said, he's great in the clubhouse. Uh, and guys on the team really like him. Uh, you know, he takes some heat from the fans. There's no question about that. But he's, he's, you know what, if he makes a bad play, he'll come right to the mic and tell you, hey, you know what, I got to make that play. He never makes excuses. He's a very, right. he's very professional in how he approaches the game. I already know the technical point. Uh, yeah, you know, when you were managing, uh, no matter where it was, when you start off in San Diego and then you uh, up right. in Philly, so forth, and right. uh, you've been through it, up and down, the good parts, the bad parts, the tough part of getting fired. You've been all through all that. I'm, I'm a great Joe Girardi fan. I really am. I think the guy. I thought he did a fantastic job with the Yankees with tremendous talent that he had a balance to work with over 162 games. Uh, uh, the way he got it knocked out of, of New York, I didn't like that. But I just didn't understand. I thought he was going to be the perfect guy to come into Philly and take some of these players and, and develop Good. into a, a, a you know a pennant-winning team. I, he didn't do it, but Thompson did. What? What what I don't mean to be critical, Joe. I don't mean that. I I just mean your evaluation. What happened? Well, first of all, I agree with everything you said about Joe. I think Joe's a good baseball man. Uh, obviously, we got out of the gate real slow, and you know when you make as many changes as we did with our clubhouse and everything, you can have as many games as you want in spring training until the season starts. That team doesn't start meshing until you get into forty, fifty games. That's just the nature of this beast here. I think the one thing that you keep reading about, but I didn't see it because I wasn't down in the clubhouse every day. I went to the games. The communication, I guess, sort of didn't go the way that players really thought it should have gone. And Thompson, on the other hand, he was very communicative with with everybody every single day. The other thing that I thought was important, you know, Joe trying to get the right combo and switching the lineup and changing batting order. And I think it, I've heard a lot of veterans on the team that said, hey, we know when we come to the park who's hitting in front of us. Who's They're little things, but when you're not playing good and you're expected to play good, uh, then, you, you know, it's the old saying, it's easier to fire one guy than 25 guys. And in all fairness to Joe, you go back and look at the schedule in April and May and then look at our schedule from the time, you know, July on. We had a much easier schedule the second half. And, again, right. it's no excuse. But uh, Dave Dombrowski felt, hey, you know what, I, I don't think he's getting uh, the most out of these guys, and that's a call. You, you've seen it happen all over the baseball, Don. It, it just – sometimes it works making a, a managerial change, and sometimes it goes the other way. It just so happened that Tomps, who paid his dues, man, this guy paid his dues of being in the minor leagues and being a bench coach and a third-base coach for the Yankees. He's a good guy. I'm glad to see him have success, but I'm with you. I, I think Joe Girardi. I'd like to see him get another chance to manage some more. But uh, I, you know, I think that uh, the combination of a bad start, new guys on the team, lack of communication, maybe changing the lineup around too much. I think that all had a lot to do with. Uh, and the other thing is, he had that. no bullpen. I mean, I felt so sorry for the no. guy when he went to the press conferences after the game, and he had to go in, and these guys, well, what are you taking this guy out for? What? Are you, and he and he tries to explain it's 162 games, and, right. and you can't just you can't stretch Wheeler. You can't make him go eight innings every other game. You can't do that. 
And You're I don't right. know, they just no, never that's... see they really understand what he was trying to tell them. Oh, I agree with you. I, I, like I said, I'm all in on Joe. I think Joe's a good baseball guy. Uh, he just didn't work out. I mean, no. uh, well, I'll let you know. Very Merry Christmas to you and the family. Thank you so much for joining us always, and have a great holiday season, and we'll see you down in Florida if we don't see you beforehand. All right, sounds good, guys, and uh, have a great holiday and a happy and healthy New Year. Take you care, too, partner. Larry. Be- be- same okay. to you. You're the best. Okay. We appreciate it so much. You're Mike welcome. Schulte is All on right, the line care. right now, and uh, well, I'll tell you, we go right to Mike because we'll talk about the bowl game coming on, on Tuesday. And uh, But just a tragic uh, bit of news the last 40 hours. We talked about it at the top of the show. Uh, Mike, you can give us more information than, uh, than we can give anybody. But uh, when you lose a head coach to a heart attack like that uh, uh, right before a bowl game or a holiday, it's got to be really tough on the team and the, and the school. Oh, yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we were really feeling for uh, – for all of Bulldog Nation, um, and of course Mike Leach, Leach's family. Um, you know, he he had some health issues last week, um, and uh, actually prevented him from uh, being able to attend our um, our news conference and, and uh, contract uh, event here in Tampa uh, because of where he was sort of he was sort of stuck uh, uh, in another city and couldn't couldn't get here. Um, he goes out to practice. You know, for their whole uh, uh, practice on on Saturday, and then this happens, and it's just uh, just really tragic. Um, I mean, for anybody, first of all, but you know, certainly, you know, that he was such a, a well loved um, in the in the you know, college football circles, um, not only in the coaching circles but fans, and he's just very uh, charismatic uh, individual and. Um, We're talking about the Rolandquist Bowl, which comes up on January the 2nd, 12 noon, in Tampa, Florida, the director of uh, communications for the last 30-plus years. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the two teams and how you got that. We talked about it last week, but a lot of folks aren't with us that each week and uh, don't know how you came up uh, you know, with Mississippi State and Illinois. And maybe you'd uh, talk a little bit about that before we get into some tickets and some other things. Yeah, we, we feel like we have a really great matchup. I, I believe the, the betting line, uh, not that I bet on these things, but the betting line is about a, a one, one and a half points, I think. Um, it was uh, picked today in Vegas. Pick. Oh, there you go. So, but, yeah, it, it's a great matchup. Uh, we've got two two really good teams uh, that, that, you know, both of these teams were picked to finish sixth in their division, not in their conference, in their division. Okay. And they end up in a in a January bowl game, uh, and that's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, both teams uh, have a little bit different types of offenses. Illinois, uh, obviously, uh, primarily a running game, but but their quarterback, I think, has completed about 70% of his passes. Uh, he transferred in from Syracuse, and and has done a great job there. So they've had a really balanced attack. Uh, got the second nation's second leading rusher and Chase Brown, uh, running back. Um, he was a finalist uh, in all the uh, Walker awards and so forth. And uh, and they've got one of the, the top defenses in the country, uh, as does Mississippi State, has a, a very strong defense, top 10 defense in the country. 
Um, and uh, they do it through the air on offense. I mean, they've, they've got, I think, about uh, six or seven receivers with, with at least 32 pass receptions. Uh, Will Rogers, the quarterback, uh, led the SEC in, in uh, every passing category you can imagine. So, you know, you have, you have two teams that really outperform their expectations, um, one primarily on the ground, uh, the other through the air, but both with really solid defenses. And uh, it, it's going to be a, a really interesting matchup, I think, um, to, to see who, who prevails. Mike Schulte, our special guest this segment, and uh, Roger, you're up. Yeah, Mike, you know, getting back to uh, Leach, I had heard that uh, they try- they had to medevac him to Jackson, Mississippi. Did, did you know that, or is that confirmed? Yeah, that, well, that's what we'd heard, that they, uh, yeah, that it, it, it was uh, it was really bad, and they obviously rushed to the hospital, then they had to, to airlift him, I believe, to Jackson, and, and um yeah, it, it was, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to get into all the personal aspects, but it, it obviously was, you know, uh, you know, a, a major uh, event, and a heart attack or what have you, and and uh, this just, you know, he just never was able to come out of it. It's like, but it, it's just, you know, like I said, I mean, he, he's only 61 years old. He's, he's younger than I am, um, and you know, I, I know he had battled. Some things throughout the season with uh, pneumonia and such, but um, I, j- I just don't know if anybody, you know, saw something like this coming, or yeah, you know, who knows? If, he had a, if, if they had discovered any kind of heart issues or whatever. But it just sort of seems like it really came out of left field, and um, it's just uh, just a tragic loss. Uh, getting back to the uh, the bowl, the, the uh, I know that you've had tremendous uh, support you know, the new sponsor, and it's a great uh, tool for uh, uh, recruiting. Are are they, uh, all the activities that you have with parades, and uh, you mentioned last week, and I think listeners, they they don't realize what else goes into this. And like you said, you know, you work on this all year round, different uh, functions uh, within your uh, organization. But um, I just mentioned a couple, just number, everything of all the activity that's going to be going on uh, during uh, the uh, bowl week. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, this, you, you know, a bowl game is not just a uh, an away game or a game at a neutral site um, like you tend to have, you know, maybe in the early season or what have you. But, you know, it, it's meant to be more of a celebration, a festival, if you will, um, you know, our teams come in uh, a week before the game. Uh, they're here all week practicing, of course, getting ready for the game. But, but you know, we have events all week long uh, from uh, spouses' luncheons to, you know, taking the guys out to uh, Game Works, which is like a, sort of like a Dave and Buster's kind of place to have some fun. Uh, we take them to Bush Gardens. Uh, they go, go to Clearwater Beach. We have a big pep rally, basically, kind of thing on the beach with marching bands and cheerleaders and, and so forth. Uh, one day uh, we have a New Year's Eve parade. Uh, there, there's all kinds of activities uh, for the teams, the fans, um, and, and the local folks. And and you know, again, it's it's sort of a celebration of the you know somewhat of the end of the college football season, kicking off the new year, uh, and celebrating uh, 
you know, the accomplishments of the two participating teams. Um, and, it's, and it becomes a, just a fantastic experience for everybody who participates, not just the players, but everybody around them. So um, it, it's a lot of fun uh, to see it all come together and for people to experience such a good time uh, together with their with their peers, their their teammates, their 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 like-minded fans, and what have you. Um, and uh, you know that that's what really makes it worthwhile for us. And at the same time, you know, we we pay the universities millions of dollars uh, that that are divided among the schools in a conference. We we spend you know millions of dollars uh, over the years in to charity around the Tampa Bay area. Um, and create a huge economic impact for the community. So, you know, what, what we sort of say here is that no matter who wins the game, everybody wins at the end of the day, and that's what that's our goal. Mike, let's get to the bottom line for just a second. You touched on it there, the charities, and, of course, uh, when we get the program, you sure you get to the same. It always has a list of how much money has been donated to charities over the years, which is a large, large number. But So let's get to that first, and then, uh, Ticketron, everyone knows tickets are always available at Ticketron, but there are tickets available elsewhere as well. Uh, so let's go over some of the nickel and dimes and uh, get some of the business out of the way. <laughs> okay. Well, tickets are available uh, through Ticketmaster.com. Uh, so go on there, Ticketmaster.com. Uh, lots of good seats still available. Um, and, uh, and, yes, you know, if, if you are – uh, a season uh, ticket holder or alum of the universities, they have tickets uh, that they uh, sell as well through their their ticket offices. Um, you know, especially if you donate money or you're an alumnus or whatever. But then uh, tickets through Ticketmaster is probably the, the best way to get seats. A lot of good seats uh, remaining at this point still. And uh, and and you mentioned the charity, you know, giving. I mean, that's a big part of what we do. Right. Um, like I said, we. We've been spending over six million dollars a year uh, to universities, and then we also give out at least a half million dollars every year to local charity organizations uh, to help support their efforts. So it's it's just another facet of, of what we're trying to do while while also creating exposure for the community and a and a huge economic impact. As you say, win-win, Roger. Yeah, exactly, win-win, and. Uh... The, uh, the I guess that you said the teams come in a, a week before, so that means they'll be coming in there the first of uh, this coming week, a week or less than a week from now. Uh, well, it'll, it'll, they'll come in, uh, uh, yeah, two, well, week and a half, week and a half from now. So they'll, they'll come week in, and a half. Uh, yeah, like on the December 26th to 27th, they'll come in. Um, of course, team being on the second this year, the, they. Um, a lot of times they'll come in on, the, on Christmas Day. Uh, last year they came in on Christmas Day, but this year since the game's on the second, coming in about a day later. So they'll come in. I think uh, uh, Illinois is coming in on the 26th, and Mississippi State's coming in on the 27th. And then they'll spend their whole week here. I gave ready for the game on the second, and they'll they'll leave and go home on, on probably January 3rd. But it's uh, it gives them a full week of uh, preparation and, and opportunity to. Have a good experience while still preparing for a big game, and um, you know I, I know that you know with everything that's happened, uh, the Bulldogs team, uh, you know, this is, you know, we said, what do you want to do? And they, they, uh, you know, from our understanding, we were told that they 
were uh, in 100% agreement that the, you know the players wanted to play the game and uh, and finish what they they started this year and and and, and I guess do it for Coach Leach. So yeah, it'll um, be a tribute to him, Mike. Would be to, to yeah. Playing. Yeah, who is the uh, going to be the uh, coach, uh, at least the interim coach for the bowl game? Uh, the, their defensive coordinator, uh, Zach Arnett, is going to be uh, the uh, – um, he's going to handle the team for the game. And uh, he's a very, very accomplished uh, uh, coach. Is, uh, he's been there, I think, three years or so uh, with uh, Mississippi State. Has had a lot of big stops. He, I know he's been uh, he's been a, a, a finalist for the uh, uh, Royals Award for the top assistant coach in the country a couple times, I believe, and um, so very well respected. Um, and uh, I, as I mentioned, you know they got one of the top defenses in the country, and he's the defensive coordinator. So, um, but uh, he, he's going to fill that role uh, for our game and and uh, lead the players out on the field. And let me just emphasize once again for those people that uh, don't uh, are like me and don't remember what dates are. Uh, the game's going to be on the second because, as most people know, the National Football League owns Sunday, and so the game is going to be uh, uh, on Monday. It's going to be on the second. It's going to be at 12 noon, and uh, just a little bit of a difference in the schedule, but that's because of the uh, of the calendar, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, when when New Year's Day falls on a Sunday. Um, the, the, the typical New Year's Day games uh, move to Monday the second, which is becomes the, the holiday that people take um, as opposed to the first. And so um, the Rose Bowl, uh, the Cotton Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, and us will all be on uh, on the second this year instead of the first. So that's just uh, it's just part of the way the calendar falls, and it happens every so many years when the you know first falls on a Sunday, uh, everything and, just slides over to the next day. And you're 12 noon this year. That's correct. We're, we kick off uh, we kick off the, uh, the January games, and uh, we'll kick off at noon, and then uh, Citrus Bowl and Cotton Bowl come on at, at one o'clock, and then the Rose Bowl. Uh, we all lead into the Rose Bowl at uh, uh, I believe about four o'clock. Roger, the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, and uh, the I think that's going to be a great January second, and. Uh, ESPN bowl games from uh, start to finish, right, Mike? Yeah, they, they they really do, and they 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 have a great lineup. I know last year um, they, I mean, their the number of viewers they got in their New Year's Day lineup, uh, you know, between us and, and the other games I mentioned, um, was just you know ridiculous numbers, and that that's uh, you know they they love just sort of owning that whole day. Well, Mike, once again, thank you much for all the time you've spent with us, uh, not only today, but during the course of the year, talking college football all the way from September on through. Uh, Always a pleasure. Number two, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to your family, from all of us uh, on the network. And uh, we're off the next couple of weeks, so we'll talk about you. We'll talk a little bit uh, after January 1st. We get together and you can tell us how successful everything was. That's, that sounds great. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing some of you guys uh, at the game. Be, we'll uh, be there. Be good. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and drive safely. Stay away from the alcohol. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. not, your, not you, <laughs> take, Mike. Take Everybody else. 
Mike Zimzak is ready right now, and uh, we're going to get into so many things on the sports front because uh, the Washington Football Club is making some news. They've got a big weekend this weekend, uh, a conference game that may uh, decide going to the playoffs or not going to the playoffs. Mike, first of all, welcome to the show. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Welcome back Merry again. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to all of you and your, your, your families as well. Big weekend for Washington. Yes, it is. And go ahead, Rob. They have the um, yeah, big weekend for the for the Commanders. They have the Giants this weekend. Um, right now, you know, last week worked out just about as well as it could for them, uh, with the teams winning and losing, and they went from out of the playoffs all the way into the sixth spot. So right now they have about a 70-plus percent chance of making the playoffs at the end of the season. But that uh, will be dropped dramatically if they lose this um, home matchup to the Giants on Sunday evening. Roger? Well, I'll tell you what. I think it's going to be a uh, a battle. But when I see the way the Eagles absolutely tore apart the Giants, after having trouble with the Commodores, or Commanders, I should say, Mike, uh, I I don't know uh, whether the Giants will uh, be in this game or not, to be honest with you. I mean, they'll I be don't... playing the game, but I don't know uh, uh, what the – I think it might be a one-sided game score-wise. A lot of people feel the same way. Um one of the big issues, and I've talked a number of times about this on the show, is though the fact that the commanders just aren't the uh, same as the Eagles on offense. We talked about how the Eagles are so balanced and so dangerous on offense. And normally when you think you've stopped one facet of their game, they can hit you with another. So if you think you can take away the run, great. Uh, they'll just throw it to A.J. Brown and um, Devontae Smith. If you think that you can take away the pass game, you know, they'll run with Miles Sanders. If you think you can stop both, they'll hit you with Jalen Hurts. Um, the, the commanders just aren't that sort of dynamic offense. In fact, they're very, very limited as far as the pass goes. Uh, they're going to rely, again, very, very heavily on Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson and then with the sprinkling of uh, Curtis Samuels and um, in there and to, to uh, help diversify the offense, you're going to see a lot of, like, they really try and keep the handcuffs on Taylor Heineke because they've shown that when they open up the playbook too much for him, he's prone to make mistakes. So, it's again, this, this game is going to be a matter of, of who hits uh, 20 points first. And if one team can break 20 points, then they just may be able to win it outright. Yeah, it's a big weekend uh, within the conference. And, uh, well, of course, Dallas going back last week in the last 15 seconds or 20 seconds to win was a big, big win for them. But this is a really big weekend for both the Giants and for the Washington football team because uh, they, they look ahead to the playoffs. they got to win this game. But let's get to your Bailey Wick. You're a soccer man. You've been a soccer man for all the years you've been on with us. Uh, tell us a little about uh, uh, Rangers' comments, first of all, about Brent Holter with the World Cup. Uh, they're having a little bit of a, 
uh, ruffle there. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, say that again. I missed who you were talk- what you were talking about. Reyna speaks out against Berhalter. Oh, yeah. Well, this goes back to something that happened over the weekend where um, Greg Berhalter was appearing at a, uh, a symposium on leadership, and he made reference to something that happened over the, the uh, during the World Cup, which was that Gio Reyna, the, the uh, young player, was almost sent home because he wasn't putting enough effort into practice. Um, they didn't like his attitude. So Beerhalter explained, without using any names, that uh, you know he had this player. They were about to send him home. They took a team vote. It was decided to keep him, but he had to stand up and apologize to the team. Well, this happened to confirm a story that the Athletic was in the middle of writing, but that they had put to the side because of the passing of legendary soccer generalist Grant Wall uh, on Friday. So over the weekend, Greg um, delivers this speech. Somebody talks about it. The athletic gets wind of it. It gets written as a news story. And they're able to confirm what they already know, which is that the player in question was Gio Reyna. Reyna uh, sent out a tweet. Uh, he admitted that he was the player in question, but he was saying how you know disappointed he was that Greg would allow this to get out because Greg's, you know, we're going to keep our stuff in the house. So I really don't think it's, from my point of view, it's not that big a story. I mean, you have a young player who went through something. Uh, you have a group of other guys who are processing this as it happens. But now you've got all these internet sleuths who are going through trying to see who voted for him, who voted yeah, against him. Yeah, but he, he didn't, he, Reyna didn't play at all. Right? That was one of the big controversies, too, because he didn't, he didn't play at all against Iran. He didn't play at all until he got a half uh, in the third game, against, in, the last, in the round 16 game against Netherlands. And Greg had told him beforehand that he probably wasn't going to have a big part because he had been injured for so much, because he'd been away from the team, he wasn't going to have a big role, right? That he was kind of on the periphery of this whole entire thing. But that I don't think he thought it was a zero. I don't think he thought he was going to be eliminated. Yeah, well, all we know is that apparently sometime before the round of 16, he got up, there was a vote taken, he apologized to the team, and that kind of, when you, as you said, he wasn't used at all. Right. And then all of a sudden, he gets a half, so we can kind of say, okay, well, this is what happened. Um, basically, I think it, it, it's one of those things that they'll work through it, but, you know, these things happen every World Cup to every team. Things happen in the locker room. Sometimes they get out and they become public, and sometimes they don't. How they choose to handle this, how Rania chooses to handle this, how he works with Beer Halter, Beer Halter continues. That's going to be what we'll see, but ultimately these things will sort themselves out. Roger? Well, those things happen in every, every locker room uh, from time to time. You know, it's not only soccer, uh, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a shame that, uh, that it happened. But um, what do you, the, as they're getting uh, close to the, uh, the final 
a couple of games. Mike, how does the, the situation look to you as far as who's going to uh, be the uh, big winner in the World Cup? Well, we know as of right now uh, it's going to be France versus Argentina in the final. Given what right. mm-hmm. happened in the knockout rounds, when you see the tournament favorite Brazil go out, when you see uh, England and France match up in one one of the great quarterfinal matches over the weekend, uh, this is just about as good as they can hope for. You've got the sport's most famous, arguably best player of his generation, Lionel Messi, uh, versus the defending champions. Uh, they're only the second defending champions to make it far uh, since Brazil did the trick back in the 60s, right? So there hasn't been a lot of times where you see repeat even a team in the finals with a chance to win it twice. Um, Mike, I'll give you a little bit of a sidebar on the uh, you you just mentioned Messi and and, uh, uh, a portion of my family, my grandson, uh, they, they were they were praying that Messi was going to be in the finals because he's putting together – he's going to direct it, putting together a documentary uh, on the World Cup and the progress of Messi and what he's doing. It's going to be on – probably will be completed for three months or four months from now. But uh, he's putting together the package uh, on Messi and uh, his contribution to soccer and his contribution to the game. And it's going to be a documentary which will come out uh, – as I say, I can't even give you a tentative starting date, but my grandson was very, uh, very apprehensive because he was afraid Messi wasn't going to get to the finals, and that it would have uh, it would have killed the documentary a little bit. I still would have made it, but it would have killed the documentary a little bit. What's, what what uh, is the documentary going to be uh, on? What uh, going to uh, be on Messi? Yeah, I know that. I, I didn't mean to say it that way. Uh, what avenue uh, for broadcast? ESPN. I, I don't. Or? I don't know. I, I don't know oh, which. Okay. I don't know Maybe which they outlet. don't know yet. Yeah, that could be too. Well, they, yeah. if they know, they're not. They're not saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I already talked to my grandson. He he hasn't told me. What, you know, all he told me was that he's going to be putting it together, but he didn't tell me what the uh, which outlet was going to actually event, eventually use it. Was that Adam well, this that is, uh, is working on that? No, it's JD's son, Trace. Oh, okay, JD's son. Yeah. Okay. He's got he's got four commercials going in the Super Bowl now, and he's got this one with Messi coming up too. So he's pretty busy right now. He's a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this one, I mean, at least he gets whatever the outcome. Getting on through the World Cup to the World Cup finals is going to give him a fitting uh, climax to this documentary, and so he got really lucky with that one. That's but, the, like that was my said, point. That that was the whole point. If he hadn't gotten yeah. to the finals, it would have been sort of a, you know, less than what they wanted. But but so that's going to be the story, I think, um, and it'll be a great final. Uh, last time Argentina was in the final. Again, under very similar circumstances against a really good German team. Uh, it went to extra time. It took a really miracle goal by Mario Götze to win it. Uh, both these teams are pretty good attacking teams. Um, there's something to be desired about both of them defensively. Uh, so there's all the potential for this to be a really entertaining final with multiple goals, but 
as a wise coach in the form of Jose Mourinho once said, finals aren't meant to be played, they're meant to be won. So both of these managers have um, they've been there before, they know how to play these. Unfortunately, I'm thinking this might be another one of those kind of cagey matches where it's a 1-1 one, one and goes to extra time and penalties or something like that. Uh, I'm hoping that it's a 3-2 game and we see Messi be Messi and Kylian Mbappe, who's the heir apparent, be Kylian Mbappe. Uh, but I'm not going to necessarily hold out hope. But that would be the final that this tournament deserved if it was a really one of the better ones of all time. Roger? Yeah, but it, uh, I think it will be. And uh, I've read about uh, Argentina, and uh, I followed them uh, throughout the uh, series. Uh, and that doesn't surprise me that, that they're in it. I was really hoping uh, that uh, we would see, uh, you know, France or, or England uh, in it. But, uh, you know, that's, that was not to be, right? Well, you still got France. I mean, I, I, I think England, the, the France-England game was, it was one of those ones kind of like um, the Chiefs and Bills last year where somebody had to lose, but you didn't really want to see, think either one of them deserved to do it. It was a shame that England goes out at the quarterfinals because I think that they were a much better team than the quarterfinals. But that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, full credit. Well, to two, two nothing win for France, right? No, it was uh, two, uh, two one. Two and one. France, I thought it was two nothing. Yeah. Um, today, it was two nothing for France over Morocco. That's right. Um, yeah, that's but, right. Yeah, and full credit to Morocco. The first Morocco record a point in their inaugural World Cup. They're the first. African team to have, uh, to have advanced out of the group stages in history. Now they're the first African team to make it to the semifinals. So mm. uh, that was really a great accomplishment for them, uh, a great accomplishment for the uh, co- the continent, uh, and to show that you know they do th- that African teams do belong and that they can play at that level. And their coach is the uh, first. African Arab coach to make it to the semifinals. So again, full credit all around. They played a great tournament. They just ran into a better team today. Uh, Luka Modric in Croatia, who lost three nothing to Argentina in the other semifinal. You know, here's a country who wasn't even playing uh, competitively 24 years ago, uh, and they've made it to two consecutive World Cup uh, semifinals. Uh, so, again, that you know, that's a great accomplishment for that country. Uh, I remember I had a – when I was over in Dubrovnik and I was asking about them, asking my tour guide in 2019, and he told me, oh, yeah, making it to the finals was a great accomplishment, but nobody expects us to do anything because we don't play soccer in Croatia. We play water polo. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, you're up. Yeah, what about the future of uh, the U.S.? Uh, uh, soccer. Uh, what do you think needs to be done so that this will never happen again where it's uh, the team uh, U.S. is eliminated so early, Mike? Well, we have only in the modern World Cup, if you want to go back to 1950 where we placed third and we beat the uh, English, 
so be it. But that time it was eight teams. So in the modern World Cup, we've big never advanced. Yeah, big yeah, difference. Right, they better be in the next one because it's going to be in New York. So they better they better make yeah. a they better make a solid appearance in New York. They don't want to get bombed out early. Well, I I think when you when you look at it this way, you know we've only ever advanced past the group stage once. In 2002, uh, we beat Mexico to make it to the quarterfinals. And a lot of people would say that a disputed win against Germany in a game that they should have won and could have made it to the semis. Um, It's hard. There are a lot of countries out there that struggle to make it. Italy, who has won four World Cups, hasn't even qualified for the last two. So making it advancing is tough saying what do we have to do to make sure that we never go out of the tournament early. Um, I would hope that we would always consistently in a 48-team World Cup be able to get at least to the knockout rounds of 32, but we've seen when you get into those single elimination games, anything and everything can happen. And it only takes one negative bounce of the ball and you're going home, just like what happened in that Morocco versus Spain match. Uh, Spain had all the opportunities. Morocco just all it took was a couple of penalties and then they were done. Uh, I think the future of U.S. soccer is very good. We have more players playing more minutes over in Europe. We have a really good pipeline in the MLS getting players into the MLS, getting them from MLS to Europe. We have as much talent in the system right now as we ever had. It was an extremely young team, so all but two of the guys on the team would be considered to be age-eligible for the next World Cup where they would be in their primes. Uh, Plus, they'll continue to get – biggest thing that we've got to figure out is the striker position. You know, who's going to score? And that's where the talent pool is a little barren. You know, and well, I said the big thing was, Mike, that uh, we had a lot of talented players, but they hadn't played together. Uh, so you have to have theme. a team that, you know, spends two years playing together to be sure when you go into something like the World Cup that they're not strangers. Well, they're never going to get that opportunity because, you know, they only get to play a certain amount of games, you know. And when you look at it, it's going to be even worse because we're hosting – we won't qualify. So after this uh, summer's Gold Cup and possibly a Copa America, if it happens in uh, 2024, they won't play another competitive match where, you know, a competitive match, something other than an exhibition. They won't play something other than an exhibition likely in between 2024 and their first game in 2026. So, uh, they're going to have to make do with the summer camps. They're going to have to make do with exhibitions. They're going to have to make do with what's there. Okay. If they can find, you know, if they decide to stick with Greg Beerhalter, he put together a pretty good culture. A lot of the players like playing for him. But do they also feel like, hey, we may need to get somebody else? And look, it's not unheard of. Even the team down there, right? Tony Dungy put together the Bucks, but they brought in uh, John Gruden to get him to the Super Bowl. Doug Collins put together the Bulls, but it's Phil Jackson who's got the rings. Mark Jackson built the Warriors, but it's uh, um, Steve Kerr who's got all the rings. So that happens. 
um, they may need to bring in somebody else just to get them over the top. These are all decisions that we'll wait and see how it happens. Roger? Yeah, the uh, uh, only time will tell. Uh, it, uh, the, uh, again, I wanted to get also to another area um, about the, uh, the Nationals, Mike. Uh, we were talking about baseball earlier. They really didn't uh, haven't done much uh, in the off season. Uh, but but is there a lot of speculation about uh, some of the uh, the targets they may be and some of the deals that they may make? There's no speculation because there's no real targets because nobody knows who's going to be signing the checks. Yeah, they still don't know. Have any idea? And. As I said a number of times on the show before, it's this issue with Masson, and until the uh, the deal with Masson and the ownership over their broadcast rights get sorted, and until somebody finds whether or not they're going to be able to own their own broadcast rights and market them for in a fair deal, it's really going to hamper the sale. Uh, nobody's been come forward as particularly interested or willing to give the uh, learners to price that because of this broadcast deal. I think Ted Leonsis has brought on a lot of guys who are willing to, and Monumental Sports, they're definitely willing to buy them. But right, right now I think what the offer is is far below market value because of the, bro- the issues with the broadcast rights. Until they get that sorted, they're not going to go out. Number one, and spend any big money, number one. Number two, this is a team that's probably about two or three years away from making that big free agent splash. It's going to be about seeing, the next two years are going to be about seeing where are those players that they picked up in the various moves that they've made over the last couple of seasons, particularly the Juan Soto deal, where they stack up, which ones are real major leaguers, how they're going to develop. Um, getting the young players time to play in the majors, seeing what you got, and then maybe they'll go out and, uh, you know, maybe two years, three years down the line and make that big free agent deal that announces that they're back and ready to compete. Going back to soccer for just a second, uh, uh, but how do they do it? How do they continue to put up a team that's very, very competitive in world competition uh, two years, three years after, after, you know, one after another, and the men can't do it? How do they do that? Uh, well, I, the women have <clears throat> the advantage of a much larger pool and a monetary advantage in U.S. soccer that doesn't exist in the men's game. Uh, You know, this is a place to play both college, um, youth-level soccer. And to be honest, one of the reasons why, even though without the equal pay, all of that dispute that has since been settled, you know, we, through Title IX, through other programs, we just have been able to throw a lot more money at that than any other country in developing women's soccer players. Uh, the college game, all of that sort of stuff has just benefited the women's soccer team so greatly that they have a deeper, more expansive pool than just about than any other country, right? 
We're starting. Okay, we'll week. we'll leave it right there for this. This is our final show for this year. It'll be a couple of weeks off now, Mike. As you well know, once again, we said at the top of the show, "Merry Merry Christmas to you and your family." Very safe holiday for the new year, and I know Roger wants to say as well. Absolutely, Mike. Uh, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you and your family. Appreciate uh, all your contributions and friendship over many years. I appreciate being on with you, gentlemen, and it's been a great year as always. Um, Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's. God bless all of you, your families, and I look forward to picking it up with you again in the new year. Have a good one. Yep. You got it, Baltimore. Thank you very much. Take care. Our PJ professional down here in that Baltimore, Washington area as well. And, of course, Doug Hamilton's been with us for a number of years, not only talking golf, which he is an expert on, has his own club down there that he works with day in and day out, but also uh, is on the shoulders of the Ravens, on the shoulders of the Baltimore Orioles, and we get to everything. Uh, I'll tell you, Doug, uh, before we get to any golf in the snow now, uh, another squeaker weekend for you. Well, uh, the first question I would ask, and if if, I don't know if Frank has records or or who does, but I'd like to actually know how many years I've I've been on the show because I can't remember. Um, Well, you're getting old. Well, that's a fact. Um, (laughs) That's mutually mutually exclusive from the question I asked with regard to the result that happens. Um, um, Well, you know, to to your point, Don, I I can tell you that – the TV that's that's uh, hanging on the wall over our fireplace uh, in, in the living room almost lost its life over the weekend. Um, <laughs> you know, watching that football game, you guys know how much I absolutely hate the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they're they're not really a good football team. And and for I mean, look, a win's a win. That that, that old cliche is is still true, but I think I was most disappointed. Um, the, the, the first touchdown that Pittsburgh scored was, uh, a, a quote unquote Marlon Humphrey, um, uh, pass interference. And the final touchdown they scored was a, as a result of a roughing the passer. I, I thought by and large that all of the officiating staff was likely from Pittsburgh and probably went out to, to, to launch at Promanthe brothers prior to the game and had a gigantic sandwich. So, <laughs> I, I, I don't really understand, you know, watching that football game, how many of those calls were so one-sided. And for, for Baltimore to go up there with Tyler Huntley and then, you know, Brown uh, and, and J.K. Dobbins to look as good as he did and, and get a win uh, was phenomenal. Um, I think, by and large, the media has already crowned the Cincinnati Bengals um, as the division winner, and in any of the power rankings you watch or, or see have Cincinnati rated ahead of. I saw the, the, it was before this last week. They they came out with their top ten, and Baltimore was not even in the top ten, mind you. The Cincinnati Bengals were third, the Jets were tenth, and there were at least two other teams that I think the Ravens beat. So, you know, we're we're heading into this slighted period, I guess of. You know, uh, n- n- nobody thinking that Baltimore is is really uh, a team to be reckoned with. Yet they're they're currently winning their division. So I, I don't really understand any of that. Um, you know, I just know that I'm a loyal fan and I look forward to watching them each and every week. Roger. Well, the, the 
the thing that gets me is that on these <laughs> rankings, you since you brought it up, Doug, mm-hmm. they uh, the rankings or ESPN said that <laughs> the Cowboys have a better chance of being in the Super Bowl than the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And what do the well, Cowboys have? Three losses. I mean, you know, I don't get day, how these ratings, uh, how they they figure it out. I must be a lot of geeks in a room that don't know anything about football. <laughs> well, it's it, it, it's the same equation that that allows people to buy stocks on E Trade that say, uh, I think this one's going to do really good. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean. Uh, the, the 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 Philadelphia Eagles are widely known, I think, e- even from a, a Baltimore Ravens fan, as the current best team in football, w- without question, based on their record. Um, and I don't know how we can discount that moving forward. Um, I, I think that you, you could make a case for that division being the best in football, as likely or possibly all four teams could make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I I don't think that Dallas. I mean, Dallas has a very good defense. Um, I, I think they have some potential, if you will. But I, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hang my hat on Dak Prescott and and the Dallas Cowboys in terms of of them doing anything in the playoffs. Uh, only because I don't trust them. Um, I think that the Philadelphia Eagles have more weapons. I think they, they, they play a better style of football. Um, Much more balanced team. For sure. Um, you know, you, you, I mean, you, you, you hear Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, Tony Pollard is an electric, you know, running back. But at the same time, the Eagles running backs in, in uh, Sanders and Gainwell and Boston Scott and those guys, they, they don't get enough credit, I think, for being able to tote the football as well as they do. Um, you know, Kelsey's just a, a consummate professional and just the kind of guy that you go to the bar with and, and drink until they closed. Um, You're right. <laughs> I think that they have a rotation of defensive linemen that's uh, probably the best in football. Um, they, they have players, as we've talked to, you know, Roger, about uh, that don't even play. Uh, Nicobe Dean it was such a good linebacker at Georgia, and he doesn't even get on the field other than special teams. Uh, so, you know they're a, a balanced team, a very strong team, and they're twelve, twelve and one, thirteen and one, whatever the you know record is. Um, you know, I think I think most people are still on the the Forty Niners being the darlings because of the, the some of the talent they have, and they're a good football team. Um, you know, Dallas that quote unquote America's football team concept that just you, you can't flush down the toilet and just get rid of. Um, you know, you, you look at the uh, right. That's stale. Well, I mean, you know the uh, the Packers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and, and some of those. I mean, they're just not what they used to be. Obviously, you know, you're everybody's going to have a down year. Yeah, like I mean, Pittsburgh's said, played Steelers. terrible. Yeah, I mean, um, we've got uh, we've got a football game on tomorrow night. We've got football games on Saturday. The Ravens play uh, the Cleveland Browns. We've got um, triple header Saturday. You know that's exciting. Um, we, we, all, we always look forward to. to While NFL you're saying football. that, Doug, uh, give us a quick update on Jackson because uh, uh, really spotty information mm-hmm. coming out about exactly how he's coming along. 
Well, the the bigger information is on, on Tyler Huntley because, as you know, he left the football game with uh, uh, the concussion protocol. And in many cases, depending on what level of the severity of the concussion you uh, sustained, uh, the ability to, you know, clear that protocol, um, particularly on a short week, is sometimes difficult. So he's been spotted at practice and, and been a full full participant the last couple of days. So I think that Tyler Huntley is likely to – uh, to start this weekend, and I think that, you know, that being said, I think it gives Lamar Jackson another week to get healed. He has a sprained uh, PCL, and I think that he was originally listed as being uh, an observer, if you will, for a one- to three-week period. Um, you know, I think that the Ravens find themselves in a, a decent spot uh, with regard to their schedule and um, having a good backup quarterback and a very strong running game. And I tell you that one of the major differences in this past weekend was, was the ability of Ronnie Stanley to get on the field and uh, Marcus Williams to come back at the safety position. Um, you know, it was it was nice to get a win in Pittsburgh, and I, uh, you know, look forward to seeing them play in Cleveland. And, and uh, you've got, uh, you know, a, a healthy Dobbins, a healthy Gus Edwards, and uh, hopefully the ability to run the football uh, at will against that football team. And, you know, Deshaun Watson, as, as much as people said, you know, was coming back and all that money he was going to make and putting all this stuff behind him. I mean, he hasn't played particularly well the last couple games. And the defensive coordinator for the Ravens is a little bit different than what we've experienced in the in years past with Wink Martindale. And guys like Justin Houston are getting after the quarterback and, and um, you know, they're playing some decent football on the defensive side. So I look forward to watching that. Roger? So the – uh, let's talk about the, the defense on the uh, uh-huh. Ravens. Wink Martindale sure. has gone. You know, we I I've oft, often thought that maybe, uh, you know, he and John just, you know, there might have been an ego issue there. And, he, uh-huh. and I know we've talked about it. What do you think after now that we're uh, in the last quarter of the season? <laughs> well. It's um, it's an old song uh, that gets played, you know, year after year, day after day, week after week. Um, you guys have been a part of it in your careers. I've been a part of it in my career. Um, you know, the Baltimore Ravens started off very well last year, and they lost mm-hmm. their last whatever, how many, seven, eight, whatever games. Somebody had to be a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. You know, because Coach Harbaugh wasn't taking the fall for, right. you know, the fact that his team didn't make the playoffs after an eight and three start. So it was either Greg Roman, or it was either it was either him or Wink Martindale. And I'm certain that those guys were probably placed in a room, and they had a discussion, and it was one of the two of you needs to go my guess is that Wink Martindale raised his hand and said, I'll do it, you know, mm-hmm. because I want to go he somewhere else. He's going to have a job. Yeah. Correct. It, it's time for me to move on. The, the quote unquote mutual concept, you know, it's, it's, it's the same speech that we've all been given that says, we're going to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you don't fit our future. But there's, but yeah, there's that's no what happened reason. with Doug Peterson with the Eagles. Correct. Doug. That's, that's correct. exactly what happened, yeah. So the next thing is, if for some reason 
you know, the Baltimore Ravens stumble or don't make the playoffs or don't play particularly well, you'll hear some scuttlebutt about Greg Roman. And that's going to pair with Lamar Jackson being at the end of his fifth year. And now they're going to have to make a decision on franchising the guy. Right. You know, whether they keep him or don't or whatever, you know, you're going to have to find an offensive coordinator that, you know, can pair with him and, you know, bring out some of his uh, best qualities. And, you know, what's funny is, Doug, are you pro yeah. long-term Doug, uh, Jackson, or are you on the fence? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I was, I was hopeful you wouldn't ask me that question because we, <laughs> I had this, <laughs> I had this conversation. You know, mom and dad come over uh, pretty much every Sunday, and we watch football. And you know, dad's one of those talks least says most kind of people that you want to listen to because it's important when he speaks. And mm-hmm. the conversation the conversation we had was, you know, how can you give Lamar Jackson whatever, 200, 300, whatever hundreds, millions of dollars that he's going to command when he missed time last year because of injury, he's missing time this year because of injury. His style of play is, you know, reckless abandon for could he get – Doug, we talked about that at the draft. When Harbaugh right. decided to make him the draft choice, I can remember the very next Wednesday night, you know, we talked about his versatility, but also the versatility that leads to injury. Right. Well, the, 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 the sword that you live by is the sword that you die by because, you know, for him to get all hemmed up in the pocket and run for 35 yards and make an electric play or scramble around and throw to Mark Andrews or whatever is phenomenal to watch. You didn't but, answer my question yet, though. <laughs> I, I mean, well, here's the thing. I mean, you know, really it boils down to a business decision. <laughs> the, the, the business decision is supply and demand. You and I both know that you can't win without a quarterback. Lamar Jackson is an MVP caliber quarterback. So they're going to pay him what he's worth, quote, unquote, on the market. I don't know what that means in terms of money is money, but the guaranteed concept is what scares me because, you know, if they sign him to whatever his demands are, three years, four years, five years, whatever it is, and they give him a large sum of, of guaranteed money and he goes out and he gets hurt, you can't there's, – there's no take-backs. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't recoup. get that back. You know I mean, well. so – you know, you're talking about a decision that could win you a Super Bowl or it could cripple your your franchise. Now, look at the Rams. Doug. Well, with Stafford, said, they're crippled with their draft oh, in the future. The Rams are just their fodder right now because they have nothing left in terms of draft picks. No, but right. To that, to that point, the second portion of that conversation that I had is Dad and I sat on the couch was, you know, Tyler Huntley actually goes through his progressions when he takes the snap. Now, he had nine carries for 30 yards or whatever it was this past weekend, but he actually throws the football either A, where it's designed to go, or B, to the open receiver. That's a stark contrast from me watching football with Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson takes the snap, 
he looks for Mark Andrews. If Mark mm-hmm. Andrews is covered, you know, he says, oh, crap, and he either no clue. takes the sack, runs a you know, whatever. Then it's a so, scramble to look for somebody that's open. For sure. Right. And, look, I'll be honest with you, the Baltimore Ravens receiving core has to be in the bottom, I don't know, <laughs> They got Order. to be near 32. I mean, they're they're they. I mean, hold it, hold it right there, Doug, because we're out of time. Merry Christmas to you and your family, Roger. You get yours in, and same for you, yeah, Frank. Sure. Merry Christmas to your family as well. God, Thank you. God bless and Merry Christmas to Don, Yui, uh, Lane, and your family. Uh, Doug, your uh, your wife and family, yes. and uh, everyone listening and the hey. audience across the country, around the world. Well, uh, and drive with care and watch the alcohol. Thanks a lot, fellas. Okay. Frank, it's all yours. Happy Hanukkah. Okay. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. And also, that. Frank, to your family and all the work that you <laughs> do. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation for the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of police and fire services, doctors and nurses, and first-line responders to COVID. These programs are also dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Law Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlie County Sheriff's Office, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpa Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig, Greg Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Charles Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Anopo Chris from Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Laterno, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Uh, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longboat Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hardwick, Ron Ellis County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. And Deputy Chris Meyer, uh, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, I you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the word. Until the time, when the roads rise up to meet you. Any rains we always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in a hollow of his hands. Can I give bless and please have a very, very, very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, a Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy Kwanzaa. Shemalekma <laughs> Shema Hezahilma Suna Shenevoratfet Hakuig again, my Elma Thank you.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.